Hey, Cam. Hey, sir. How's it going? How are you? Very good. Had your coffee already? Uh, no. <laughs> I just woke up, actually. Yeah. Take your time to have a coffee. Come on. <laughs> if you're like me, I need my coffee. <laughs> no, I shouldn't drink coffee, so. Oh, you don't? No, I don't. Do. Yeah. What do you drink in the morning? <laughs> like some tea or something? Uh, you just drink hot water, eh? Um, yeah, because I um, yeah, I usually I usually focus when I do like big swims and stuff. I uh, um, I have to like stay awake for so long that I I want to kind of keep anything like stimulants and stuff to like a minimum in my daily life. And when I do a swim, like I'm extra sensitive. So like I if I'm doing like a three day swim or something, I'll just and like the second night I'll be doing like I need I need my caffeine, you know, so to keep me awake. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril. Today we have Cameron. Uh, is it Cam for friends? Uh, usually uh, both. Like, uh, yeah, Cam is my preferred name. Ah, okay, um, so I'll call you Cam. How are you doing, yeah. Cam, today? I'm doing all right. I'm actually currently in the hotel quarantine in uh, Brisbane. <clears throat> it's a long story, but I had to, uh, I'm doing a master's at university in, uh, in Brisbane and Queensland, Australia. And I got stuck in lockdown in Sydney where COVID is going rife and had to get back for uni. So I had to unfortunately uh, make a decision to come and quarantine in a hotel for two weeks. <laughs> so oh, fun. I'm about, yeah. half <laughs> I'm about halfway through, um, which is nice, but um. Yeah, I got plenty of free time on my hands these days. Oh wow! And, and for all the listeners, it's at three p.m. over here in California on Saturday. It's, it's early Sunday morning for you in in Australia. Uh, I asked him if he had his coffee, and he said, "I don't drink coffee." Tell me the story about the non-coffee because I'm a coffee drinker like every day. <laughs> Tell me that story again because it shows how dedicated you are to controlling the parameter of caffeine. Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, the kind of sports that I do, um, I, I obviously go to the extreme in like the sports of swimming and uh, ocean rowing and sleep deprivation comes into that a lot and how you manage yourself um, when you're sleep deprived. And so I find that, you know, just obviously drinking caffeine in general, like obviously it's a stimulant that keeps you awake. And and I'm always, I always obviously 
during daily life, like I'm always working pretty hard and sometimes feeling fatigued, but I always sort of like push through that just mentally. Um, because I'm, when I do a big swim, like for two days, like the sleep deprivation and that stress from not sleeping is like it's the, one of the biggest factors in terms of being successful. Um, and also the fact that if you t- drink a lot of caffeine, you, your body becomes accustomed to it. And I want I want to be as sensitive as possible to any stimulant because, like, on day two of a swim, and I'm really struggling, and it's three in the morning. I want to be able to take some caffeine and give me a bit of a boost to get me through to sunrise. So yeah, it's, it's a kind of double prong that I don't drink caffeine because I don't like the uh, the kind of boost that it uh, wow. that it gives me. Um, and I also, obviously, I want to like be as sensitive as possible. So when I do take caffeine, it's like it helps me to get through like a really difficult spot in a in a swim or a row. Are you always that strict about all your intake, um, like your nutrition and? Uh, not, not really, actually. Like I am, um, I don't follow a strict diet. Like when I'm training, like training for like like a three day swim or two day swim or like an ocean row, like I have to be like quite big and so absolutely like, like fit and fat and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you generally try to eat everything. Because I'm obviously sometimes I'm training up to 10 hours a day, so um, I feel like. I can, I have to eat as much as possible. And I feel like when I'm training that much, your body is pretty much a furnace. Everything you throw in is getting burnt up and used for energy. Yeah. Um, yeah so I don't really start to follow a strict diet. Obviously I try to eat as healthy as possible, but I'm, something I wouldn't eat <laughs> to be honest. I like that. <laughs> obviously, important things like caffeine, which is kind of, to me, it's quite scientific about yeah, I mean, using a stimulant to get a boost at a certain point, like that makes sense to me. And also there's, there's a fact that like, I don't really like coffee <laughs> that much. It doesn't, yeah. if I'm going to drink a coffee, like at a coffee shop with a friend, I'm probably, I'll probably get a marker or something because it just tastes better. Mm-hmm. Do you have a special diet in terms of fat, like no keto perspective or you just eat it just about anything or have you tried some in the past? I try. Yeah. I mean, I have like, I've lived with friends and I've been training who do like have a keto diet and like, I felt really good doing it. Really? <laughs> uh, but that's what I'm getting cooked for, obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. But so yeah, in daily life, like I don't really have the the time and the, the energy and the resources to kind of follow a, a straight diet like that. Cause like, I, just, I travel a lot and I'm like living in different places, different cities, different countries. And um, it's just kind of hard, you know, like to, to follow a strict diet. So I know I could get a bit more benefit if I just had a keto diet, but uh, hmm. I don't know. There's other things that I have to worry about. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, I've, I've, I mean, when I do a big swim or a big row, like, like I, I usually, my body like copes really well, I find. Um, even like diets during the swim, I can eat everything during the swim. I can eat like, my favorite thing to eat is macaroni pie. Like when I'm, I'm doing a big swim at night and that just like goes straight through my body and just my body kind of converts it straight to energy. And so, yeah, like, and then, I'll, then I also eat like uh, gels and like chocolate bars and everything else. <laughs> and they yeah. all seem to just like disappear in my body and get used for energy. So yeah, I think I'm quite lucky on the nutrition side that my body, and also I, I did speak to a friend once, sorry, I am um, a friend who's a doctor, like quite a I've got a famous doctor in South Africa who, who's a, he's a heart surgeon, but he, he's an open water swimmer and he, he follows a keto diet. And he says that my body's naturally ketogenic. Like I do like produce ketones naturally, even if I'm eating carbs. So um, I'm quite lucky in that regard. Excellent. So we went straight to talking about ultra endurance, but I want to go back to getting to know you and, uh, um, 
the last 14 episodes I've had, it was such a pleasure to get to know the background of everyone and especially the, the country they were from, where they were born and their family environment. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about your childhood and the family environment, your parents, your siblings, and how did you grow up? Yeah, sure. So I, um, I grew up in, in Cape Town, South Africa in 1982 and uh obviously the first 10 years of my life it was, it was quite important years obviously and um my family like background is basically my, my father is australian and my mother is south african mm. and um, so i kind of grew up with a aussie dad um south african or english english south african mother and I have a twin sister and an older brother. And that was quite important too, because obviously an older brother, two years older, quite a bit, yeah. lot bigger than me, even now, a lot stronger. And uh, <laughs> it's always like my older brother versus me and my twin sister. And like, we would like, have to like team up to kind of, he was a bit of a tyrant. He's back then. He's very different now. He's this big friendly giant now. Um, amazing athletes, amazing guy. Um, but back then, like it was, Sometimes it was like life and death, you know, we would, me and my twin sister had to team up just, just to survive. Competitive. Very competitive. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that he was just so big and so strong. Um, yeah. We had some pretty big fights growing up, but it definitely toughened me up. Um, and hopefully I toughened him a little, little bit too, especially in the later years. In fact, I remember like at, at the age of 15, we've been fighting our whole lives. And at the age of 15, I won the first fight between us. And that was the last, that was the last fight we ever had. Um, but also, you know, Aussie dad, South African mother, like great athletes. My my father, you know, he used to tell us a lot about his like his how he grew up and he grew up in Sydney and his sporting background. He um he sailed for Australia and for South Africa. You know, he sailed the uh, America's Cup team '72. Yeah, so amazing, amazing athletes. And he uh, and yachtsman grew up in the water. You know, he was a professional yachtsman for like he was one of the first professional yachtsmen. So I kind of grew up with that. Uh, did he take you on the water sometime? Yeah, well, we had like, yeah, we had his, he was sponsored a yacht when we were, when we were growing up, a racing yacht. And he used to, it was his boat. Um, so he used to take it on the wall and, 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 and race it. Wow. And we used to have a lot of family holidays on the same yacht. <laughs> so, yeah, I spent a lot of time in, on the sea um, growing up. And I think that's where I kind of, I definitely get the love of, of water. He was also like a very, um, like I, I used to row as a kid and that was my sport. And it was, I kind of got there because I spent so much time on the water uh, with my dad. And, uh, and I just actually started swimming like 10 years ago, but it was very much a natural progression because I'd grown up on the water. I'd spent a lot of time in the water mm-hmm. and on top of the water. And uh, I felt, I felt very natural um, being on in the water. Um, obviously that time of growing up in South Africa and Cape Town, first you know, 10 years of my life was during apartheid. And I remember um, when I was eight years old in 1990, I remember like me and my brother, and my sister were playing or fighting in the, in the garden. But I remember specifically and like very clearly my, my father and mother coming outside and calling us inside to come watch TV. And I knew something was up because it was always the other way around. You know, you're always watching TV and they're like, get, get outside and yeah, go play. Yeah, yeah. And so we walked wow. inside, <clears throat> sat in front of the TV, you know, watching, um, watching the TV. And there was a guy and a lady like, black lady black black lady walking down the street waving at the crowd and i was like i'm obviously eight i have no idea what's going on i was like hey dad what's going on who's this man and my dad's like this is nelson mandela um he's been in prison for 28 years they just released him gonna be our next president 
and we're not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> that was quite scary for me. I was like, wow, like he's going to be our next president. And, um, mm-hmm. and this obviously this time from like 1990 to 1995 had a massive um, like uh, influence on my life because he saw a man like Nelson Mandela like come out of prison. After as, as Bonaga. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and just, you would think he would be, um, you, you would think he would, you would just, you know, we had no idea what he was thinking, what he wanted to do, like kind of thinking the worst, maybe like, especially in the beginning, but then he kind of, he reconciled the whole of South Africa and became the South African rainbow nation. And then he became president in 94 and he won the world cup in 95. And we, it was just like, it was an amazing part of my life and seeing someone like Nelson Mandela, um, just changed South Africa. It could have, South Africa could have gone to civil war and it didn't do it the other way just because of one man's leadership. That obviously had a, a huge effect on me growing up. Um, and then I stayed in South Africa for obviously high school. I spent five, I went, I spent five years at university in South Africa, undergrad and postgrad. And then I came to Australia for the first time um, in 2006 to the master's here. And then since then, I've kind of just like traveled around the world. I've been lucky to get my first job in China for three years, then work in the UK for five years, and then San Francisco for five years, and Australia for a year. So I've just been quite lucky that I'll be able to kind of live this kind of international um, life since then. Do you consider yourself a citizen of the world? or I do. I have lived throughout many countries. And I think traveling should be mandatory as part of, you know, before you start the working life, uh, yeah, before yeah. university or right after university or during university, like a year overseas should be mandatory. Definitely. Yeah, and I think that also goes, when people do travel a lot, they get away from this whole like nationalistic mindset. Like the world, I feel like the world is a very, very small place and it's so easy to go to different places and, and make a life for yourself. Um, I feel like I've done it, I've started over like four or five, four times. And uh, each time it's been just such an amazing experience. Obviously, it's very difficult some in the beginning. It uh, can be difficult in the beginning, but you grow so much from those difficult situations. I'll never forget the first year I spent in China. After a year, I looked back on my first year and I thought like, I feel like this has been 10 years. Like something, so much stuff has, has happened yeah. here. And it was a year in China. Like I didn't speak the language. I was learning the language. It was the year before the Olympics in Beijing, and uh, I was living in Beijing. And I was like, it was just it was a big party. It was a big like it was, I was my it was my first job and making money for the first time. I was just traveling so much, and I just felt like this is the happiest I think I've, I've ever been. Obviously, and I look back, and that was like the best time of my life. Just being able to travel and live in a, such a crazy place in <laughs> such an interesting time. Um, yeah, I will never lose those memories. Did your brother and sister uh, had the same path of traveling overseas or just stayed in, in South Africa? Yeah, my brother is quite lucky, actually. He's, um, I mentioned he's an athlete, but he's also actually a, a male model. So he's, uh, he's been really? very successful. Yeah, <laughs> Has he been, been like successful. a rugby player or what? No? He's a rower. Yeah, he, he was a rower like me. We both rode for South Africa in our earlier days. He, yeah, he actually won a silver medal <laughs> at the... World wow. University Rowing Championships. Um, amazing athlete. I mean, he's six foot five. I'm like, he's about two inches, two inches bigger than me, and uh, he's he's just an absolute machine. Um, yeah, but he's also a very good looking one. So yeah, he was very lucky that he and he still travels a lot for modeling. Um, he's always had a, a base in Cape Town, but he's you know, he lived in I think in New York for seven years. He's he spent a lot of time in Germany, um, probably three 
three years in Germany uh, continuously. Um, does a lot of work in Europe and America. Um, yeah, so he's, he's always traveling. Yeah, and your sister, yeah. I, I bet, would would be yeah, the one I'm that not... stayed in Cape Town or what? <laughs> she did uh, the my, same. <laughs> my twin sister is actually married to one of my best friends living in Melbourne. In Fantastic. So, um, yeah, he's, yeah, so it's great. Like, I get to see, go visit her and her awesome three kids and one of my best friends. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's, it's, it's really nice. Do your parents get to have the whole family together sometimes or it's, it's kind of hard to make happen? Which we try definitely, and we were a very, a very close family. Unfortunately, my dad passed away about um, seven years ago. But my mom is quite, you know, she's an amazing, inspiring person. She's, you know, she's 74 now. I spoke to that. I spoke to her a couple of days ago, and she's always telling me. I mean, she's so active. She travels so much, and she's like she's 74. She horse rides almost every day, um, and she's always out. Really, like she, she horse rides not just like horse riding in a paddock. She's horse riding in mountains and beaches and sea, and like she's wow. like in the beaches and the waves and like. And she's and sometimes obviously COVID has been different, but like sometimes I'll get a I'll see her. She's calling me. I'll be like in her head before I answer the phone. I'm like, where the hell is she now? Like she'll <laughs> answer the phone, and she's like. Oh, I'm in Northern Iceland salmon fishing or like I'm on horseback in like Kenya. <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's a photo she just like posted <laughs> to like a social media. She's quite a big Facebook fan. And um, she's basically waist deep in the Okavango Delta in Botswana, like fly fishing. This is like some of the craziest crocodile infested and hippo infested water in the world. And she's just like, at sunset, she's in the water fly fishing. <laughs> she's on a horse riding trip through the Okavango Delta. And she manages to persuade one of the guides to like let her go into the water and do some try catch some dinner. <laughs> She's <laughs> yeah, so it's a very, very cool, cool mom. Um, very different to my dad. My dad was my dad was obviously an adventurer and very successful athlete, but my mom uh, just very kind of very driven um, and very kind of he, he planned everything to the T. Whereas my mom is just like kind of like more like me. She's It's very spontaneous and just does whatever uh, she, she wants. Intuitive. Yeah. yeah. How it seemed to be like a really nice way to, to grow up. How, how much do you think it influenced the rest of your life after? Um, I always say that my life, it was the same until I was 18 or 20. I stayed in the northern France in a small village, a very pretty basic life, really. But it was my roots. And my parents allowed me to have my wings. Once I had a taste of living overseas, learning new languages, I was flying. Mm. And do you consider that as well? Like your parent created the that those roots that make you like take on the world to anything you can do. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was always kind of encouraged to like pursue my dreams, and my dad especially like he never like when me and my brother had a regatta we were racing it he never missed one even no matter where it was in south africa or the world he's always there supporting us and i remember something specifically because he obviously grew up as a yachtsman um and i remember once when i was like 10 years old me and my my mom took me and my twin sister to the local yacht club to get some sailing lessons and we got home on the second day and <clears throat> we're having dinner and my dad was like what do you guys do today and we we're like we went for sailing lessons like isn't that cool like we're doing what you did what you do and he's mm. like why Like, don't do what I did just because, like, you know, just because I did it. Like, I want yeah. you guys to do whatever the hell you want to do, no matter what it is. And to me, I was like, thank God, because I hated sailing. 
Many because my sister was beating me. <laughs> I was like, I felt so helpless. I couldn't, I was having the wind was trying to move. I was trying to get the wind to like move this, to blow into the sail, to move me faster. And she was just beating me the whole time. Like in all the races, I didn't understand why. So I was like, I have to find a sport where I can like use my own strength and skills to move myself, not rely on the wind, you know? And so my, that was like kind of a, it was an awesome moment. Cause I thought like, wow, my dad just told me I can do whatever I want to do. And it's like, he doesn't, he wants it has to be my wants he wants to be my decision he doesn't want any part yeah. of like making a decision for me that was very cool and also i think another thing like growing up in south africa especially like and very same probably in like in nor- northern france like you kind of see yourself as a little bit insignificant in the world like i grew up in the, the southern tip of africa and we f- you feel insignificant because of where you live in a way yeah which is a good which is a good thing i think it gives you a little bit of humility and it's like and I remember like growing up and thinking like, okay, I live in the southern tip of Africa, but I really want to see the rest of the world. It gave me like a lot of motivation to do that. As opposed to if you, I feel like in America, like obviously living there for five years, like you feel like there you're in the middle, in the center of the world already. Yes. And there's no yeah. real motivation to go anywhere else because you really feel you're at the pinnacle. Yeah. And like America is amazing. Like you can see what I, I feel that. I think that and it's such a beautiful, big, amazing country. Um in a way, I'm glad that I grew up in South Africa because like, it gave me that motivation to to travel. Mm. Yeah, in fact, it, it could be to their detriments because, uh, like in Europe, you travel an hour and then you're in Italy and you learn a language. You go to Spain yeah. and you learn a language. You go to Germany. You know, you name it. And then we do have to travel. We do have to learn languages. If you're in New York or in San Francisco, well, everybody speaks English. You can travel anywhere you want and don't really feel the need except for maybe tourism you go to see paris you go to see rome and barcelona but you don't really need to learn the language um, yeah yeah tell me about your personality traits and i'm interested to know which one you think you were born with and versus the one you've built and well there's characters of course that we build through experiences that we choose and others that are, you know, um, forced upon us on depending on the, maybe the difficulties we've had in life, you know, tell me the, the ones you've, you were born with and like curious and, and you know, playful or you like to f- competition and <laughs> fight your brother, or which one yeah. you grew up with. It's. I definitely grew up quite competitive and, uh, like I remember thinking I always wanted to, to do well and to win at something. <laughs> and, uh, and obviously then going to, you know, to, to school and competing with like colleagues or sorry, um, other students and pupils and, um, and the environment I always wanted, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best at something, you know, and um, maybe it was a little bit, I think also growing up in South Africa, you kind of, you, it's, it's quite a macho society, um, very conservative and male dominated. And so I kind of, I grew up, unfortunately, like with that kind of mindset that I had to like be the best and be a man. And like, mm. I remember specifically, and this is the point, it's a negative thing. Like I think about South Africa is that I remember like at seven, six or seven years old, um, I mean, like grade three, we started to play rugby for the first time. And as you know, like rugby union is like the biggest sport in South Africa. And we had to make a decision. Do we play, there's two options at my, at my school. It was like, do we play rugby or do we play field hockey? And field hockey had a nickname called Mofstock, which means like 
just basically translated it means like gay stick like really so if you play hockey you're gay and if you play rugby you're a man yeah, and yeah. obviously i had to play rugby and I, even the teachers were saying that mm. <laughs> just That's how toxic crazy. it was and um, yeah. it's crazy yeah and thinking back on it and and there was a lot of homophobia at at school and even like this you know this is 89 this is also racism and uh I kind of grew up like getting all this input and feedback and I was like sort of making me think in a certain way but obviously luckily like human beings are intelligent like we all we kind of then grow up and like suddenly realize that this is not probably the way <laughs> but yeah. well there's an see you have a you have a, a an amazing leader like Nelson Mandela showing you this is not that's not the way like um everyone's the same we're all human beings not about you know sexual preference with the color of your skin and so I think like I kind of grew up in that toxic kind of environment at school, even a little bit at home with my, you know, my dad was Australian also like, so there's a bit of tox- toxicity there. And, and I just kind of, but luckily at the age of, well, I think like in my teens, I kind of, I was very insecure as a kid. Um, they're very, com- very competitive, but also kind of a bit of a toxic masculinity kind of um, issue. And I, was, I wanted to win everything and I wanted to work for South Africa and I wanted to do this and that, so just try to be this man. And then suddenly at about age of like 19, I went to university and I realized I wasn't very happy. And I also knew that there was a way out. There was, a, there was an answer. I wasn't sure what it was. And then I was lucky, lucky and I, I made it my goal to find out what the, what the answer was. And I was very lucky mm. that I, I was at university, I remember, and um as I said, not very happy. I didn't even realize I wasn't happy. I was a little bit depressed. And uh, even though I definitely didn't show it on the outside, I was a bit of a jock, you know, and like I used to row for the, the first rowing team and um, a bit of a man about the university. And, but I, obviously I said I wasn't happy. And I remember once like walking into like the town, it wasn't even the university, it was random. I walk, randomly I walked into the town library. I don't even know why. And I picked up this book, like at the far end of the library. And it was this book about Eastern health. It's called Perfect Health. It's a book by Deepak Chopra. And I just started reading it. I don't know why. And then like, and to me, it just had all the answers. Like it's a, it basically based the book referred to read it around health mainly, which is great because I never really kind of looked at, looked at health, but it also like looked at, introduced to me like the concept of like meditation and, and like looking within. And that kind of, uh, it took me a couple of years to learn to meditate because back here and like back then in South Africa, especially like meditation wasn't even, wasn't a thing. Like it was I hardly even heard about it before, but eventually found somebody that told me how to meditate. And the first time that I did it, it was the first time that I ever looked like looked inside. And that was like the changing point. Like something I looked at mm. inside for the first time. And I was like, wow, like it was scary because like there were so many thoughts. I was projecting so much. There were so many thoughts coming from the inside that I hadn't, I hadn't even looked inside to see what those thoughts were. So like looking inside for the first time, I could see how bad those thoughts were and like how destructive they were. And came out of the meditation like 10 minutes into it this is the first time i ever did it by myself and i was like i was so happy because for the first time i realized what the answer was like the answer is within like i've been looking outside the whole time and now it's time to like look within and um i knew i was gonna meditate for the rest of my life every day and continuously just look in and i knew this was the answer and i've done that ever since and um it's been a huge change because i've gone from someone i think that like was you know very very toxic you know um I mean, not very, but like, I think in my view, mm. I probably was. And uh, someone, I think like I look inside now and like, there's not much, there's no internal dialogue. I just kind of, now I can just like, I've got a blank slate, just like a blank slate that I can go out and do whatever I want mm-hmm. and um, with the right intention. 
So, so how old were you when you did that meditation, first meditation? It was probably like my third year of university. So I was probably 21. Hmm. Yeah. So, so until then, your, most of your actions were dictated unconsciously by, by the environment and um, external um, stimuli. And, and, and basically you started to listen to your own voice. And I feel like this is definitely one of the, uh, the way to find happiness is to find your own call. And some people still haven't found that as being the, you know, the, the most important. And I'm so great you addressed this on, on the podcast because uh, it's all about being yourself and finding your own voice. And it, it does start with, you know, questioning, like, am I doing the things I do because I want to do them? Is it like really born into my chest this is how i want to be or is it because other influences uh maybe commercial messages we've received since we were born yeah it's a crucial yes. way and you know we we call it becoming an adult but it's really i think for me the maturity is about finding your own call it doesn't matter if you're like 40 or 15 or definitely yeah everyone's everyone's on their own path and uh for me it happened when i was 21 i kind of had that that change, like 100, 180 degree change. Um, other people might happen younger, other people might happen later. Mm. Yeah, and I guess as to your point, like it's just important that happens to you at some point in your life. Mm-hmm. That you start, yeah, as, as we kind of talked about, like you start looking within and you, yeah, as you mentioned, you create your, mm. yeah, you start, you start, you stop accepting external stimuli and you start looking, looking within and make your own life. You seem to be very disciplined and controlled in, in your actions. Uh, when you said, I'm meditating every day, being in control of your own path and having that discipline to follow it, follow through, that is part mm-hmm. of your personality traits, is it? Like, in a way, yes. I think like there's some things you can control and some things you can't. And that's the beauty about life. There's, there's certain things you can control. Like I can choose to wake up and do the same thing and meditate every morning. I can control that. On the other side, there's so much uncertainty in life like we can't control. And that's the beauty of it. This, this is like crazy extreme paradox of like control and uncertainty. And you got to like, you got to utilize both. You got to be, I feel like for me at least, like I work best when I'm in a, in a routine, like especially in the mornings. Um, but then like, whatever happens in that day, like let it happen and like just take all the punches and just go as, do as best you can and there's so much uncertainty you never know what's going to happen like what's going to happen what's going to come up and uh that's the beauty about life and i think like for me why i do these kind of crazy big rows and crazy big swims is you can like prepare as much as you want and like do all the preparation do like every box checked but then who knows what's going to happen on a big swim or a big row like uh, that's the beauty mm-hmm. of it that's why i get like so much that's my adrenaline rush you know um, so yeah, I do like, I do like to control, but also I love the uncertainty and just, uh, being spontaneous. Mm-hmm. But you make me want to be much more driven in what I want, like, especially now, you know, so I, I did the first attempt to cross to Hawaii in a kayak and, and obviously didn't go as I had planned and day six I had to be rescued. And then it was like, wow. And it's been two months 
since I've been thinking and saying, what do I want to do next year? What do I want to do? And I felt like I had lost control because for the last year, every day I knew what I was going to do. I need to do this and that. And you're like in the rush of getting prepared. And I last two months, I've been a little bit lost. And you make me want to like go back into control and, and uh, be more driven into what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, there's also a different paradox is that like you can want, you can have an amazing goal. And like your goal is to pack to Hawaii from San Francisco, or I want to row, I want to swim from this island to that country. Um, and I can, you want that goal to be as specific as possible, obviously. Um, at the same time, like you also need that, you need like, at least for me, like I love to have a crazy, crazy goal, like impossible goal that I think is impossible. Like I'm thinking about this new swim at the moment and I'm like, how the hell do I stay awake for that long? And so like, that's the goal I want to do and I can't stop thinking about it. At the same time, definitely consciously, and I think these days also subconsciously, like I try to lose attachment to making it, to actually fulfilling that, that goal. Like obviously I'm going to attempt it. I want to attempt it. Maybe I won't attempt it. Yeah. That's my goal. But I really want to be like on the other extreme, like completely detached from that goal. And I know like, what is detachment? Like you want something so bad, but you don't want it. Like this, it's a very kind of abstract mm. term. Like and that gives you more power maybe to have super, no pressure, right? Yeah. I think if you can get that detachment right, like I think I've done that really well. So I've been working on this for like the last 18 years in my own head. Like I think I I've kind of worked on that attachment in my own head. Like I do get really well detached from, from goals. Um, I'm still so motivated and I have, I have this very, very, very specific goal. There's a kind of a cool um, poem that I, I usually recite in my head when I'm trying to detach myself. Um, you've probably heard it before. It's by a poet, like a Middle Eastern poet called uh, Rumi. He was kind of famous. He was kind of famous in like the uh, Middle Ages. Um, and this is obviously being translated, but I think <laughs> it goes something like this. Um, at least it's out beyond success and failure. There is a field. I'll meet you there. Um, mm -hmm. It's like out beyond, like if you can detach yourself from like this concept of success and failure, there's a place out there beyond that where like there is no success and failure. It's all the same thing. It's different, different poles of the same thing. <laughs> and I usually recite that poem in my head, like when I, uh, never have like a big goal and i was like yeah this doesn't really matter i would still really want to do it right but it doesn't really matter like success and failure what's the difference it's like as yeah. i said two sides of the same coin it's the same same thing like success and failure and like i look back on like some of the swims that i have failed there's been two big ones i failed and i came back two months later and finished those swims like i don't see them as successes or failures anymore like it's just the same thing yeah um yeah i think with your with your kayak like you're doing something unprecedented and like I was following you and I can't imagine what it was like in that cabin. Like it's, it seemed, I was reading, I was like kind of, I read about it afterwards. And I was like, man, that's like very, very scary. Like it's, um, yeah. And that, that, that happened like, and then, and the thing about being detached is like, yeah, I didn't make it, but like, so what? It's the same thing. Like, mm -hmm. Uh, what next do i try again do something even cooler <laughs> like yeah um there's so many amazing things out there you can do and can't do like and just what do you just yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it's interesting how it could be the most important thing to do at some point but in our reality it's in, insignificant uh, 
what I mean, what does it bring from this guide to to cross an ocean? Uh, there's the immediate um, satisfaction of the athlete of living something incredible. There's maybe the the possibility to inspire other people uh, to live life, but uh, I'm not bringing anything better to the world by finishing it. You know, maybe just starting is enough, or maybe the fact that I'm going to live these experiences and I'm going to end up being a better human being in the end, and that's a real purpose of any challenge. Then you have that experience that you can convey for the rest of your 50 years of your life. You know, and yeah. It's really interesting to to understand why do people like us do we do what we do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we maybe we don't know. It's out of our control. It's a human spirit of of pushing ourselves. And um, yeah. but I'm 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 convinced that once you really follow your heart and you do what drives you um, in a positive way, it gives you the all the strength to manage all the negative things that happen to you that you're not in control. Um, and, and you kind of have to do that to follow what you love and create those new skills to, because uh, life is, is tough, is good and bad. And, mm. um, yeah, definitely. I'm sure you learn so much about yourself and when you're out on that boat by yourself in that storm and like you yes. had those breakages and like everything was a mess. Oh, man. And, well, here's the thing. I'm an extra uh, extrovert. I love people. And to me, you know, the first crossing we did is all about brotherhood and having this connection between, you know, people that are not in the same family that become like family forever. I love this. And to me, the biggest challenge of doing it alone is actually being alone for 70 days. You're never completely alone because you can always text with your land support. But you know that nowadays in our uh, society there's not a moment where you're completely alone like this you rely upon any of your own decisions like do i sleep do i not sleep do i put a sea anchor do i not put a sea anchor do i go out and swim or like all the decisions you're just on your own tell me about um, an eventual motto that you would have or several or quotes that you like um, and all this is, is for the first part of, of the podcast, getting to know you, because I think this is a basis of then how do you make things happen? You know, mm. is, is that a quote or a quote or a motto? Yeah. I might like flip it and say something that you're probably not expecting. Um, if you just give me a second. It's like a really cool book that I once read. Um, it's by a famous Indian author called um, Rabindranath Tagore. And um, it's, it's an incredible book. It's actually, the, he, this guy, he's, he's, he, um, he, he, he won the, the, the Nobel Prize for Literature with his book, his first, um, first non-Westerner to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. Um, so basically, he was a poet in like the early, um, uh, it's like the early 20th century. And I remember like I heard about this book and I just, I read it and it's like, it's about, it's a collection of like hundred poems. I remember like reading this book and I think I was thinking, man, this guy's like, he's obviously a genius um, and everything he's, he's, he writes, it's like, it's so poetic and it's about love. It's about God. It's about, it's about who, like who we are. 
<clears throat> and there was, yeah. there was one, I read, I remember reading the whole thing in one go. And there was, this, if everything hit me at a level of like six out of 10, this one poem that hit me on about a level of like 15 out of 10. Wow. And I, had, I, wasn't even, I wasn't even sure why. I read it like again and again and again, like 30 times. I was trying to figure out what I actually meant. And, um, and eventually like, and I actually read it again for the first time, like for, for maybe a year or two, like uh, two weeks ago when I was in lockdown in Sydney with a friend. It kind of brought me back to like this, how I f- still want to feel. And um, it's, it's quite long. Um, do you mind if I just kind of read the first couple of paragraphs? Please. All right, cool. Keep an open mind. It's, it seems sad at first. Okay, so where it goes is, if it is not my portion to meet thee in this life, then let me ever feel that I have missed thy sight. Let me not forget for a moment. Let me carry the pangs of the sorrow in my dreams and in my wakeful hours. As the days pass in the crowded market of this world and my hands grow full with the daily profits, let me ever feel that I have gained nothing. Let me not forget for a moment. Let me carry the pangs of the sorrow in my dreams and in my wakeful hours. Those are the first, this has four paragraphs and those are the first two. Um, you kind of get a sense of, and I can read it, I can read the other two if you want. Um, but basically, this basically this poem, it gives, gives, gives me this feeling of, it's always good to, like when he says, as my hands like grow full the daily profits, let me feel that I've gained nothing. Mm. Um, let me not forget for a moment. Let me carry the pangs of the sorrow in my dreams and in my wakeful hours. I feel like, I mean, I feel like looking back at my life, I've, I've achieved some cool things like career wise, um, sports wise, definitely. Um, and there's obviously things I haven't done well, like I'm, I'm single at 39. So obviously maybe I messed up somewhere on the line, you know, but I'm still pretty happy. Um, but obviously there's, things we do well, things we don't do so well. And I think this poem just really kind of puts into context your life. And even if you're like the most successful billionaire, it's good to feel like you have nothing. Yeah. And almost to feel like a sorrow about that, even though if you have everything, because that keeps you like grounded. It keeps you in the present, definitely. And a little bit of sorrow, like or loneliness or something in your, in like the pit of your stomach, it's not a bad thing. It keeps you like, it keeps you, it keeps you grounded and, make, get, and you realize like I'm a human being. Like, of course, I'm going to feel sad sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not all going to feel, like, great and, like, like we're the best and, like, <clears throat> motivated all the time. You know? We're all, like, we're just human beings and we're vulnerable. Yeah. I think, like, this this poem, and every time I read it, even now, like, I look, I think about it, I read it and I think about it, and it just, it just changes my whole outlook on life. Yeah. I love how you read poems and... <laughs> It affects you. Yeah, if you if you read something like profound, like and something that hits you, I mean, this this poem hits me like really at my core, and I, I'm sure like other a lot of other people would be like, I don't really get it, <laughs> you know. And but this whole book is full of these poems, and like and some of the most beautiful poetry I've ever read. Yeah, I, I yeah, I would recommend this book to everybody because there's always oh, there's definitely yeah. one poem that hits somebody's core. Yeah. Thanks so much. I, I would need to find that in French because. It happens to me that my, well, I'm good enough in English to, to have conversations, but uh, to be touched very emotionally in my native language is so much easier. Um, I read this book by Jack London and it was in French and I loved it. Yeah. Um, and then I 
I just devoured it. And then I said, I'm going to buy all the Jack London's book. <laughs> and I <laughs> went back in the US and I bought them all and I read it. It was in this old English and I couldn't have the same pleasure where, you know, you read this book and you flow. You don't even remember that you're reading, you know, you're out in your thoughts and, and the emotions are coming. So, and so now I, I bought them all in French and I gave, gifted the other ones. <laughs> But that's where the <clears throat> authors are really good when they they take you into that journey. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. This this book was obviously originally written in uh, in Bengali and um, and translated into every language. So um, there's definitely a, a French version. I just sent you the uh, the link to um to the the book. Oh, the, perfect. The, I'll yeah. check it out. I'll buy it. I'm sure Amazon has it. Okay, so let's go to the second part. Thank you so much for sharing all this um, authentically. I, I love it. Um, so the podcast is called "I Really Want to Do This" because I I want to to have your own perspective on uh, one one day or maybe the first time you really felt like I really want to do this. This is what I want to do. Uh, it could be in a significant moment. It could be. All, all of them together. It doesn't have to be super specific, but I'm interested in, in, in finding how did the, that fire or that idea, maybe it's not as passionate as it is for me, because for me, it's, all, it's really like a spark and then fire. And, but maybe for other people, it's just a plan. Uh, understanding how did it get born into your mind or, and, and then how did you decide to actually make it happen? Did you give yourself a, a, a timeline or no timeline? No pressure. You want it, but you really don't want it. Is there any pattern to making things happen in, in your life? and Or is it just very intuitive? Yeah, all this, I'm really interested in. So maybe let's start with the beginning. How did, do you have anything in mind? I really want to do this. You, you could talk about I can I, I'll, I can talk about how first time I realized I really wanted to do something extreme, um, and how I kind of made that happen, and how that's kind of led me down this path. Um, it actually came like three years after I've been living in China, and and I kind of grew up as an athlete. I'd, I'd rode my whole life from the age of thirteen to. A couple of years previous to this, just before I left to live in China, I kind of gave up my rowing career. You know, I'd, before I'd, I was living in Australia, and um, I managed to get selected for the Queensland um, state crew to row at Australian Nationals. Um, and I pulled out because I got this job in in Beijing, and I decided to give up on my rowing career and kind of have fun and follow a normal career, or not normal career, but follow a different path, mm -hmm. not that rowing path. And then I've been living in China for three years, not having done much exercise for three years. I've been playing rugby for an expat team, which was fun, but obviously didn't wasn't really what I was. That I wasn't good at it. I guess in terms of I was much better at, at endurance sports. And then after living in China for I think about two and a half years at that stage, I just there was a guy who actually I was texting with last night because um, he's. Um, he's English and South Africa was playing the British Lions in rugby. <laughs> so we were, we were texting and bantering. But he's actually, I love that guy because he's he's extremely amazing guy, Dan Martin. You should talk to him on your podcast. He's very interesting. I would um, love it. Yeah. 
he like he was he i knew him through playing rugby against him because he used to live in seoul in korea and he had this idea to cycle and he'd previously done like a long cycle from the uk to cape town he decided to cycle his bike from south korea to cape town and he called it the axis of evil because <laughs> he like he actually unfortunately he couldn't cycle through north korea obviously so he cycled to the border and flew to china then cycled to the border of north korea and that's it and then carried on um, but he went through the whole of China, Tibet, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq. Wow. Um, <clears throat> like uh, he went the west coast of Africa, which is insane, um, you know, through Sierra Leone, um, down through Nigeria. Like um, it's just the craziest. He did it. He made the trip as hard and as dangerous as possible. <laughs> and and uh, good friend to have. <laughs> I remember hearing about this guy who was going to do this trip and then he, and he was doing this trip and he cycled through Beijing and on his way, obviously. And he knew, obviously we knew him through rugby and he was like, he's an amazing dude. Obviously I'd see him after, after parties. I played rugby against him and I seen him yeah. after parties. This gregarious guy, like larger than life. And I hadn't actually formally met him though. and he cycled through Beijing and then he wanted to come play, come to a rugby practice with us. And I was like, I don't know why, because I'm usually I'm quite an introverted guy. I don't usually go out of my way to meet people, you know. But I was like, I have to meet this guy. Yeah. And uh, so I went to that, went to the place where we meet for rugby practice. It's like in this Beijing city. We drive about 30 minutes outside of Beijing for practice. So we take a bus. And I got there early and he was there. <clears throat> and I didn't leave this guy alone. Like from the second I met him until we got on the bus and I sat next to him on the bus. I was asking him question after question after question about this crazy cycling trip. Cause I was like, I want to do that. You know, like, and I also, yeah. but previously had this dream when I was growing up about rowing across an ocean. Cause like my sport was flat water rowing. And my father was this amazing yachtsman who had sailed around the world. Across and, oceans. And yeah. and everything. He was a yacht. He was an ocean guy. I always wanted to marry the two. So it was this ocean rowing thing. I was like, man, yeah. I want to do that one day. So I was like, I was finding all these questions at him. How do you, how do you do this stuff? Like why, uh, how? And uh, I was talking about ocean rowing. And honestly, I thought this guy thought I was crazy. And like, I just, <laughs> so I just, I wouldn't leave him alone. And, uh, and I was just almost like, in a way, I was confused too, in my own head. So I wasn't sure if I was making sense to this guy. But anyway, about six months later, I got my, I bought my own bike <laughs> and I cycled out of China. And I, I wanted, I, I think I needed to leave Beijing anyway, because I'd lived there for three years and like the most amazing years of my life. But I feel like if I didn't leave then, I could have, I could still be there. And I had friends that had lived there for the last 15 years. I just couldn't leave because it's such a crazy but awesome lifestyle. And so three years I was I was up. I was up and I was done. And I needed to get out of there. And um, and I met this guy, Dan, who kind of motivated me and like gave me inspiration to just get on my bicycle and cycle out. So he planted the seed. And, mm. and one of those things, like when you know, you know, like I knew what he I saw what he was doing, and I was like, I want to do that too. And I just knew straight away. It's yeah. like that's gonna happen for me too. And um so for that instance, it was a motivational thing. Like it was an inspirational thing. Like I just saw Dan doing this and I was like, I got to do it too. Yeah. Um, I ended up in the southern tip of India, uh, my bike like four months later and um, like the southern, southern tip. <laughs> it seemed like a good place to leave, finish. I'd run, completely run out of money. And this is, I think when you follow your dreams, things like this just happen. Like I ended up getting back on the, I, I'd run out of money and I, I didn't want to go back to Beijing to my old job, even though I'd left on really good terms. So I called up my boss and I was like, my old boss. And I was like, hey, his name was Andrew Webb, Webby. Um, and, um, and I said, look, 
I've run out of money, I need my job back, but I want to go back to Beijing. Like, is anything available in London or New York in those offices? He's like, yeah, man, someone just quit in London doing exactly the same thing you're doing, like an analyst role. If you can get a visa, just go there and I'll set it up. <laughs> so it's ended up in the UK. Like, trade off. Did you cycle all the way to UK or you just flew? <laughs> I wish I had money man, to do that. <laughs> I, I um, had to go back to back home first to get a visa and stuff. Um, right. Went to the UK. And then, like, suddenly I'm sitting in this like office with Skyrise in London and Canary Wharf, like the financial district, and like on the 30th floor of this building and um very i'm wearing a student tie again <laughs> you can imagine i'm a little bit despondent with life like having to like live that kind of lifestyle again like suits and ties and finance and corporates and all that kind of stuff but luckily i'm making money again now and suddenly i just I go like stop by my desk and she's like this is indian girl a colleague of mine she's like cameron like when you do something crazy like that again Like that silent trip. Let's like I want to I want to join you. Let's do something cool. Like for, like let's do a project. Let's raise money for a charity and stuff. And it was exactly the same thought I was having at that same moment. <laughs> it was amazing. And then so we just set up this like small team and started this charity uh, called the Abunya Challenge. Um, which is still they're still doing it today. Um, so I've come a long way since then. Um, now we have like 16 board members in, around the world, and um, it's, a, it's still a small charity in comparison but it's uh, amazing um and basically what we do is we just we do crazy endurance events for um, and we raise money for early, early childhood development in in africa um infrastructure projects in africa and um yeah, in uh, so, south africa or other any country is we focus on south africa a very very small region in south africa a very poor region and then also in zimbabwe um wow. we just want to be very focused and and work on very tangible projects um and so that was the idea in the beginning like so then we had this idea of, to raise money for like this specific cause we did a lot of research and we worked with great partners on the ground yeah and i was like what do i do and i've always i've always growing up wanted to be fascinated with swimming in the english channel um and then also obviously wanted to run across an ocean and also done this crazy cycling trip so i was like why don't we just do like three things and like make it this massive project called the abunya challenge and uh I remember going to my dad. I remember I came up with this idea when I was at home in Cape Town. Like, obviously, I think when you come up with these very cool ideas, um, you should be in a good mental space. And usually you are like a very relaxed, kind of very relaxed space. Like I was at home relaxing for like a, for like a couple of weeks on holiday, just with my family. I had no, nothing to do, just sit around at home and just relax and play with the mm -hmm. dogs and stuff. And um, I remember going to my dad. I was like, hey, dad, I come up with this, I come up with this idea. I'm going to cycle the length of the United Kingdom and I'm going to swim the English Channel. And I saw he had a very confused expression on his face. <laughs> and I'm going to, <laughs> It's already and I'm a biathlon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, to, then I'm going to row across an ocean um, all in the same year, you know? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you can't swim the English Channel. You, never, you can't even swim. <laughs> That's the exact words, and I was like, well, "Like, screw you, man!" Like, I swim. I'd, I'd never swum before. Like, really? I've never like swam at high school or junior school or university. I wasn't like, obviously, yeah, I could swim, but I'd never swam, never been coached or anything. Um, and he's like, "You crazy, man! You can't, you can't swim in this channel." That's nice. And I was like, "Then I did." Like eight months later, I did literally swam in this channel. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's obviously where it started like i had this idea i was like that's what i'm gonna do and i think like when you know like people always tell me about this you know cameron one day when you meet the right girl you'll just know 
And I was like, I haven't had that yet. But like some, sometimes when I have the right idea in my head about something I want to do, I just know. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and once you know, you know, and then you're motivated. And like, then you got to start organizing and planning and, and doing, the, doing the training. So the planning, um, are you pretty systematic and, and you create a spreadsheet and, and you break, let's say in that swing, for instance, you had eight months to go. Um, what's yeah. your strategy? Do you ask anybody or you just say, okay, I need to swim and get a coach, get in the water. Yeah. I just focus, focus on the basics, the fundamentals. Like <laughs> how do you swim? <laughs> Literally that was like the question I asked myself is like, I kind of knew, I know how to swim. <clears throat> But like how, like how am I going to swim in the English Channel in eight months' time? Obviously, there's a tra training load you have to do, and there's the technical part. And I'm quite lucky that I, I think, I'm quite mathematical. And I was like, what are the, what are the fundamentals? What are the building blocks? What is the foundation of me be swimming the English Channel? And that's technique, obviously. And so I went to this coach in the Canary Wharf in in London, um, just outside the dock in the Docklands in in London. And I just heard about this guy and I looked up him up online. He had an endless pool. So a pool when you swim in the same spot, obviously the current going, this tiny pool has a current going through it. Um, and he just, I went to see him first day and I was like, he, I jumped in the pool and he like, he um, told me to swim and I swam in place for like um, a minute or two minutes. And he told me to stop and I stopped swimming. I look up at him and I was like, and I'm just <laughs> waiting for his response. And he's like, I've, obviously I've told him, My, my goal is I want to swim in this channel in eight months. He looks at me, shakes his head. He's like, man, you swim really badly. Like <laughs> you have a lot of work to do. And then, but then we just worked at it like gradually. And just, we worked at the fundamentals of swimming and um, especially long distance swimming. He taught me this very boring long distance swimming technique, lots of rotation, lots of a big catch, um, almost like a catch up stroke, like the most modern freestyle technique. Um, long distance freestyle techniques are and he gave me drills and every day not every day but like five days a week i'll be at the pool same drills every day and till this day like like uh two years ago a year and a half ago i did a i was on the longest channel swim in history i swam 150 kilometers the day before i did that swim i was in the pool doing the exact same drills that that ray taught me that very first or well, that first the first two weeks i swam with him um Yeah, so I'm like, I get quite dogmatic sometimes about certain things like meditation, right. yeah. drills, 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 drills. Like you got to like program your mind to like swim in a certain way and your body to swim in a certain way. And that's just, to me, that's just logic. <laughs> of course you do. Like, um, yeah, I like some of the people are like, oh, I never do drills. Like, but I swim fine. It's like, yeah, that's fine. But like, how much better could your technique be if you just focus on the fundamentals of your stroke and the technique and just, And yeah, the only way to do that is just like, I mean, to honest, the drills that I do is so simple. I basically put on fins and I swim, I swim on my side for like five laps, six laps. And then I, I'll be swimming my side and I'll do three strokes and swim the other side for, th for like for a bit and then do three strokes. And like, it's just the simplest drills you've ever seen, you could ever imagine, but yeah. those are the drills that you need. Those, those are the fundamentals of swimming. Um, something comes to my mind um, if you look at all the challenges you've taken on it was challenge and then go back to work challenge and work 
my life, uh, when I was 25, I did a trip around the world for one year after I finished my, my university and before I started to work. And after three months of traveling, I was like, well, you, you, you go from the, the, being a tourist to being a traveler. And the traveler is basically a way of life where you travel around the world and you just enjoy what you see. You're not aiming for anything. You're just traveling. And I decided, whoa, this is life. <laughs> and, and also there's a French culture where you, you, know, you work to live and you don't live to work. But basically I went into a, a series of finding a job to get the means and the money and then do something that I love. But all my attention and my mind was not about working. I mean, it was working, of course. I had a career for 10 years in the wine business and learning more, but everything I wanted to do was really these, these goals. Have you, have you seen a, a similar pattern to your life where, or you were still driven by work and, and uh, but when you worked to, to work in London from eight, you know, in that tower, you were talking from eight to five, could you dedicate your time to work or you were like thinking about, okay, I'll finish at five and go to the pool again or like, can you see a little bit of your, your way of working psychologically at the macro level? Yeah, I think um, I, don't, I don't really see myself going back into a corporate environment. At least touch wood, I hope not. Because <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I didn't, it was definitely, a, yeah, same with you, I think. Like when you, um, you had a job 10 years, like making money to be able to travel. Um, like I, I definitely... I'm not probably not that well suited to a corporate job. Um, and I wasn't that happy at that company, even though it was a nice company, nice colleagues and everything. Um, but it was definitely a means to an end. Like I knew that they were going to give me four months off to, to do a, the Indian ocean to, to row across an ocean and they were going to support me swimming. And, um, and, and I'll see, it was just great. It was a great training for me too, because I'm quite logic and mathematical and it was an analytical role where I could also branch out and kind of do other things that I was interested in. Like, for example, I had a very analytical role at this financial company and, um, but also love um, like software and development and um, technology. And I basically made it a point of like slowly but surely automating my role. So just in my, I would, work nine to five and I'll spend three hours at work afterwards, just like writing this program. Um, mm. And then, and then what happened was, uh, yeah, like <laughs> my boss saw what I was doing and she's like, wow, you have, you have your, your four hour job automated to, to 15 seconds <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then, so she asked me to develop that for the whole team. And then I, the company in New York, like headquarters in New York, my big boss there, like, say, can you do that for the whole company? And so then suddenly my job changed. That's all I did. And that's what I loved. I was just like basically engineering this, um, like processes and stuff and helping my colleagues. And, uh, and that, was a, that was a very cool kind of transit. I just did what I, would, I, I was doing an analytical role, which is quite, actually quite boring. If you can automate a role like that, like it's quite a boring job. It's kind of like a monkey job. Um, and, um, but then I, I, kind of, I, I kind of transitioned and started doing like things that I enjoyed like within that role. And then that became... The thing that I enjoy became my my job. The job that I have, I moved to San Francisco. Obviously, I actually met a guy called uh, Steve Walker doing a swim from Spain to Morocco. Um, this is when I still had that London job. And six months later, we ended up starting a company together in San Francisco, um, like a cybersecurity company. 
And also the same thing, like I told Steve, like he wanted to set this company up because he had a, he had an issue, he had a, he already had a company in San Francisco that was doing like a lot of IT technology consulting work. And he was doing a little bit of cybersecurity stuff within that company. There was a slight conflict of interest with his uh, clients because he was their IT guys and doing security. You need yeah. to have a bit of a separation between the two. And so he asked me if I would come over and help him set up a separate, like a spinoff, like a cybersecurity firm and uh, like a consulting firm. And I was like, Steve, like I'm not a security guy. <laughs> like, but he's like, don't worry, I can teach you and I want you to run it. And so for three years, I, I just I worked with Steve and we set up this company and like I hired, I started, I was doing all the consulting initially with Steve and then we hired a team. And then and at, at the same time, I was also helping like Steve's other clients with automation work. Um, and we got to like three years down the road and I was, I was swimming a lot. And like I was, my swimming career was kind of taking off. And I got to a point where I was like, Steve, like I've, we bought this company up to a certain point. Like, I don't really want to do the security stuff anymore. <laughs> it's not really, I can do it, but I'm not good at it. Like, let me give it to our first employee to run. I won't do the operations anymore because it's kind of unfair. I'm swimming so much anyway. I'm not really here that much to run this company. Um, give it to, um, give the company to um, Anastasia was my first hire and let, let her run it. So he said, cool. So then basically I just, I still am a shareholder in the company. And I just, I basically consult to the company and, uh, and I work with other clients and automation stuff. Um, stuff that I love and I'm good at. And so that's, I think the point I'm trying to make is that like, I've kind of like on my career side, I've always been quite lucky that I've always transitioned to stuff that I enjoy. Like I am a mathematical guy. Um, and uh, like, I'm currently doing a master's in physics, which I'm not really like probably, I wasn't really, I was quite lucky to get into the program, <laughs> but I just love this stuff. You know, I love like um, this logic and like math and physics and like deep physics. And, uh, and so I just, and I'm still doing my job too. Um, so obviously this is all COVID enforced because I can't swim anymore. Can't do these international swims. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the point I'm trying to make is that like I've always kind of managed to find a path where I actually really enjoyed what I was doing and I've been managed to get paid for it. And uh, like reasonably well, like you can imagine like having a consulting role in San Francisco, like working in tech, like, see, I'm not making millions. Like <laughs> I'm, I swim so much and do other stuff, but I'm not really, I'm not motivated by money at all. Luckily, um, I think you're probably the same. Mm. Um, and so I can have this job and work this consulting role in San Francisco. I can live in Australia doing a master's and whatever, and still make enough money just working two hours a day. I'm obviously not, not wealthy at all, yeah. like, um, yeah. but I can, I can manage and I can get by and I can fulfill all my dreams, sporting wise, study wise, charity wise. Um, mm -hmm. I might get to a point when I start having kids and stuff, hopefully one day, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll be more like, yeah, more motivated to make more money, to make a better life and secure life for other people. But I guess I'll cross that bridge when I, when it yeah. comes. Well, I guess it's once you find you really your passion, um, I feel like there's no sacrifice. For instance, uh, when I was training for my crossing, first crossing, I decided to stop alcohol completely. And mm -hmm. sometimes I tell people, look, I, I did stop alcohol because I wanted to train as best as I could. And back then I had a job and I told my boss, I need three months, uh, probably it's going to take, you know, a month and a half to cross. And I said, okay, well, don't take any vacation for two years so that you could pile them all together. And that was, you know, what I did. And you could, I always say, look, some people have many goals and they accept the sacrifices, you know, in their lives because they're of their ultimate goal and they don't become sacrificed anymore. When you get up and you go train, 
you want it, right? But in some ways, there's still sacrifice. For instance, when I had to pay for my boat, uh, it cost me $80,000. And that means I didn't have a down payment to buy a house. It, it, it means I didn't, once I paid off my car, I wouldn't get a new one. And those are sacrifices, but they're not really because I don't care. I wanted to be able to cross. Um, but it's not for everyone. And in fact, your life is impacted. It's all these things that are collateral to our passion. But it makes for a fulfilling life, eh? isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think you have to obviously, you can't have a pre-program dictating what your life is going to be like. Like, I want to make a million dollars like by this date or I want to be married by this date. Like your life's going to take on a certain path and you've got to like love each moment. Um, yeah. Like I think that, that that first line of that poem that I, I quoted earlier, like um, if it's not my portion to meet thee in this life, like let me ever feel like I've missed thy sight. Like it just it kind of keeps you grounded. Like, yeah, I might not meet that person or I might, or who knows what's going to happen. But uh, yeah. yeah. I love it. I, we could speak forever. I, I, I love all the the good uh, good points are, you're making, and um, but I want to be respectful of your time. So we have to go to conclusion. And three questions I have. The first one is: if if you have one takeaway you'd like to give to the listeners, no matter what they pursue. But that, if if we go back to that, I really want to do this. If they had to uh, trigger and start going after the whatever it is, what is the one thing that you would advise them to do, or one takeaway, an idea, or philosophy? Or... Yeah, I think um, I've always had this. It's almost like almost like a dogmatic approach, but I think there's like this. I've always had this four-step process that I go through in my head when I'm thinking about doing something else, like a new goal or uh, thinking about something to do, really. Um, and I obviously didn't make this up. I read this. is like Eastern literature and, like, it's becoming quite popular in the West, I think, too. So I think, like, the four-step process is just, like, putting yourself in a place where you can make a decision. So for me, that place is usually being at home, like, where I'm comfortable and I'm meditating a lot and I feel very comfortable um and and i'll usually for me it's like i think the way that the book that i read like describes it is slip into the gap between thoughts like be in the being get into a place where you're in nature or you're very comfortable and that's where when you're very comfortable that's when you kind of come up with um with great ideas um and creative ideas um so first of all, like put yourself in like the great space to come up with an idea. And then when you have that idea, like make it as specific as possible. Like, um, mm. yeah, just make it as specific as possible. Like exactly what you want to do, like what you want to achieve, who you want to help along the way, all your intentions for everybody that you want to inspire, um, your family, your friends, what they, how they're going to change from what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the third step is probably the most important that we referred to earlier is like detach yourself from that from that um, outcome and then the third step is just like let the universe handle the details like um just go with the flow and i think that that first step is very important um all steps all those step four steps are very important i think that first step is, is the most important just putting yourself in a space where you can come up with an idea 
like and that for me that's the the building blocks for that is just meditation like looking within like what do i really want to do like i know when i was a kid like growing up i when i i used to have these bad thoughts and i was just i was projecting onto the world it's like i say my goal is i want to be a man i want to like sleep with the most amount of women because i want to be a man and i want to like make mm. some amount of money and i want to um wrote for south africa and go to the olympics i want a gold medal and i was all like it was all eager coming yeah. out and like yeah. projection into the world and so all those goals i was having was like it wasn't it wasn't me in my course not what i really wanted is what i thought other people wanted me to, to do yeah. and what i thought was expected of me and suddenly i started meditating and like i just started like looking within and just kind of like i don't know just like purifying my own soul in a way to a point where like i could look in and I wasn't having an internal dialogue. Now I can, and now I know it. Now I know what I want. I want to inspire people. I want to like, I want to do this, this thing because it's a big challenge. But another day, it makes me happy. That's why I want to do it. Um, yeah. So it's that first step. I think is the most important for most people. Is put yourself in a place where you can make these decisions, and these that are based. And these decisions should be based on like what makes you happy, who you're helping, having very like kind of pure intentions and motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the next three is like be very specific about the goal <laughs> detach yourself from the goal and let the universe handle the details but that, that, I think that first step is just very very important and it's the building blocks of everything and having a very like successful and fulfilling life love it love it I'm going to work on number three I think it's going to help me <laughs> yeah. yeah it's also it's a, a tricky one because it's a paradox like I want to I want yes. this goal so much and it's specific but like also I don't want to I want to detach myself but once you, I think once you have it, it's so powerful because it is so extreme. On the one side, you're so focused and specific. And then the other side, you've kind of, you've um, detached yourself from that goal. And you, you can't do it. You can't do both of those in the same like mental level. You can't be like, you almost have to like meditate and then detach yourself. Because um, at least that's what I do. Like, whenever I want to detach myself from a goal, I meditate on it. And like, I realize that the world is so uncertain. <laughs> Yeah. Like you never know what the hell is going to happen, like an hour swim or a row in daily life. And so you may as well be detached because you can't control about so many things. Question number two about the, the reveal of the song. Uh, I messed up. It was already one I was supposed to send the information for him to listen to a song, but we're, our backup plan is to, for him to share a song that gives him and puts him in a good mood. Uh, do you, have, do you have a song you want to share with us and we'll put it on our, our list? Yeah, it's a song called um, A Real Hero by College, Electric Youth. Um, <clears throat> it's not usually what I usually listen to. I usually listen to kind of like songs that are very kind of relaxed and chilled. And <laughs> the song, I don't know, it's, uh, it's from a really cool movie that I watched. I remember like watching the movie. And I was like, that's a very cool song. It's just it's about being free and it's like being on a road trip and you're just like driving into like the unknown. It's like a song that reminds me of that. Um, yeah. I, I think you like it. Yeah. I will. Where can people follow you if they want to learn more about you? Uh, do you have an Instagram and a Facebook or whatever website? Yeah, we have um, have Instagram, um, Cam underscore Obunya. Obunya is the name of the charity. Um, that's just U B U N Y E. Yeah, that's Cam underscore Obunya. What does that mean, Obunya? Oh, uh, that's a good question. It means like means hope or togetherness in uh in the Nasa language. It's a it's a South African language. Um, as the clicks. 
it's very similar. You probably heard the word Ubuntu before in oh, many, many contexts. There's an operating system called Ubuntu. And there's like a couple of companies, but Ubuntu has been kind of you know, a bit of bastardized that word. But it's basically in in the the well, it's a culture in South Africa. It doesn't actually doesn't have a direct translation. It just basically means like no man's an island. Like it's all about community. Yeah. But Ubuntu, the word, it actually has a Ubuntu as opposed to Ubuntu has a specific like translation. It basically just means togetherness. Um, mm. and yeah, we actually came up with that. The our partners on the ground in South Africa, they they gave us the name because they they use they use that that word a lot for themselves. They're actually called the Ubuntu Foundation. They actually like they should be called a different name. And we started working with them. We were like asking them, we want to we want to like we're thinking about a cool like name that defines who, what we are and what we're trying to do. And they said you should use the Ubuntu. This is a very amazing word that we use in our workshops and everything. And um, I was like, yeah, we use that. And then like they um, eventually, like two years after we had named ourselves the Bunya Challenge, they called themselves the Bunya Foundation. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely defines like who we are as a charity and what we're trying to do, like bringing communities together on the ground in South Africa, but also like around the world. Like we have board members in <laughs> US, UK, Australia, South Africa. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, Barbados. <laughs> yeah, everywhere. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the name of the charity. So the the, the charity's name. So the, the website we just created a new website, which is really cool. It's the well, abunyachallenge.com. The challenge changes all the time, uh, and and can people uh, choose your foundation to uh, for any kind of challenge that they're doing, and you're welcoming that. Yeah, that's the kind of idea, the direction we're trying to go in. It's just so hard with COVID at the moment. But we do have, we, we have like a director of like ath- athletics, athletes. And uh, that's, our, that's our goal is to have like people doing um, like endurance events and like for, for us. Like we have a number of athletes over the years that have done stuff for Ibunia. Like I'm just one of them. In the beginning, we had like when I first started the Ibunia Challenge in 2011, we had 20 people involved. We had like... Um, were six rowers there was um four people swimming in this channel um and wow. i was like we had like 10 cyclists doing the uh the uh lands and john regrets the the cycle trip across the uk and then obviously as you can imagine like people get girlfriends and get married and have kids and stuff so it was pretty much obviously it was my idea in the beginning and i kind of recruited people to join me in the beginning but then eventually like after a couple of years it was like it's kind of like just me and <laughs> kind of kept going because like obviously i don't have kids and a family and uh and I'm pretty flexible. So I just, I kept it going. And I remember like, so in the beginning, our first three goals were to, as I mentioned, cycle the UK, swim the, swim the channel, row across an ocean. And once we finished those three, I was lucky to have met this guy called Kevin Jennings, who he started helping me throw fundraisers for Ibunia. And, and like for full, like, we were trying to like reach our fundraising target. Like Kevin's an amazing guy. He used to, he was the assistant secretary of education under in a, in the Obama administration. <laughs> so And he's, he's an most incredible guy. You should look him up on Wikipedia. Get him on your podcast. I mean, he's the most exceptional person I've ever had the pleasure to meet. And I can't believe I can call this guy my friend. Um, and he obviously runs my charity. But like, yeah, he's just an exceptional person. He started his own charities, numerous charities, one called Glisten, which is like the biggest um, social rights charity in the world. <laughs> By himself, he started this in the 80s. Anyway, so um, yeah, it's like at the end of the, when I came back from the rowing trip, we kind of fulfilled all of our sporting goals, like our swimming, rowing, and um and cycling we'd raise and all the money we wanted to raise and like for all the projects on the ground and then i was like kevin what do we do now like we fill those goals do we keep going or do we stop and like we both made a decision to keep going and kevin took took the helm and he's been he ran the charity until early last year 
then he stepped down from the chairman role. Now he's just director of fundraising. And now we have another guy, a partner at Boston Consulting Group, a South African in New York who runs the show. Um, yeah, that's just a great, brief summary of like a charity. Yeah. Congrats. Um, Congrats. And good to do that. Yeah. Um. Last question. Any other uh, new adventure you're preparing for, for that you could share with us? You said a swim. Is it uh, something you can share? Yeah, definitely. Well, I can come give you an idea. It's um, I probably I haven't really figured out the, the actual final plan. It's a couple of options. But um, I um, I've done a done numerous swims before, and I've pulled up from the English Channel, which took me sixteen hours, and I've done like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen hour swims, and then I did a twenty-eight hour swim, then a forty-one hour swim, then a fifty-six hour swim, and I can know I can do more. Um. I've learned so much swimming-wise, technically, mentally. Um, most, most of the swim, the difficulty is the mental part, especially with no sleep. Um, so I know I can do like a three-day swim. And so I'm thinking about doing, there's a swim I want to do either yeah, in Central Asia or in Asia, like pure, like East, East Asia. Um, and I've done so many sea swims. Unfortunately, like you swim for that long and salt water like becomes unbearable, like your lips and your tongue gets so sore and swollen and it's mm. just I, I kind of I've, I've gone through so much pain in the salt that I don't do that anymore. <laughs> At least like the next one. So I want to do a big lake. There's obviously not that many lakes out there that are that big. So um, I have a couple of options. Um, yeah, there's a that's gonna be a big, 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 big swim. Potentially three day swim. Um, it'll be the longest swim in history. Um, and I think I'm, I'm I'm there because I feel like I know I can do it now. Like that's uh, if you ask me to if I th- th- could think about this like five years ago, there's no ways like I could t- even mm. attempt to swim like that. But I think when you accumulate like so many hours in the pool and you do like three days, like two and a half day swims, you suddenly realize like, wow, like the human potential is, is so much out there, yeah. so much untapped potential. And um, obviously for a swim like that, I have to, you have to train 12 hours a day. <laughs> I just have to work to have to make money. Like I'm not sponsored. So um, it's, uh, yeah. So it's, I have to obviously give up some studying a semester of studying um but yeah like this is the sacrifices you make um that's one thing and then there's i've discussed this with you before too there's this very very cool rowing trip that we're um i'm planning it'll be like uh definitely want to have you involved for that mm-hmm. i'm obviously i've never skipped a boat before i've only i've been part of two ocean rows but i was a crew member um and so there's a lot i have to learn so i'll be and obviously this is going to be a big project with a lot of people involved but i definitely uh, would love to have you involved and uh Especially, maybe teach me a lot. Of, a lot. Um, <laughs> I don't think I have anything to have, teach have, you. <laughs> yeah, just uh, be great to have you involved and people like you. Um, oh. so that's that's a very exciting project too. Just my own row, which I would organize and just have people that I like and uh, people that are amazing on the water and amazing people like on the crew. Um, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, fantastic. Well, I can't wait to see all this happen, and I invite all the listeners to follow you and get inspired to do their own dream. Thank you so much, Cam. Loved it. Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on. And I'm sure you'll catch up again soon. <laughs> Will do. Uh, thanks, Cam, again. Thanks to all the listeners. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it.
Thanks, Gav. That was amazing. Yeah. Loved yeah, it. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Yeah.